Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, good morning. Good to see you. Uh, good to be back. Uh, what a uh, beautiful day we got going out there. Isn't it awesome? This, this gorgeous uh, day. Hadn't this been like the, this has been like the finest summer I've had since being here the last five years. I mean, it's been actually cool this summer, right? How many of you like that? You like it cooler? Yeah, okay, good. Now, my guess is some of you like it hot, right? So let me see your hands. Yeah, okay, great. Well, there's a lot of property in Arizona. I just encourage you <laughs> to, uh, to head out there. And uh, we'll work out some kind of church swap thing. We'll take some people. But, uh, it's good to be with you. My name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at the Church of Rocky Peak. And I want to welcome you. Before we go into our time of teaching, a couple of things I want to call your attention to. Number one, uh, first of all, uh, this, this new essentials course we're starting this, this fi- on finance and financial freedom. Uh, for those of you who have been here at Rocky Peak, well, you, you kind of understand our growth path. But for those of you who are brand new, I, I want to make sure we're clear on this. Uh, we're very intentional. Our, our goal here at Rocky Peak is to unleash a movement of what we call passionate Christ followers. And we're very intentional about how we want to help you become a passionate Christ follower. So we've got what we call a growth path, a kind of a growth plan. And the three core ingredients are, first of all, our weekend services. You kind of understand what those are about. Uh, our small groups or life groups where we connect and challenge and grow together. And then the third key ingredient is what we call essentials. And these are eight to ten courses that we're developing over the, 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 uh, the couple-year period that uh, we believe are uh, tackle topics that are absolutely essential for your walk with, with God. And so we've created four of those already. Uh, this is our fifth one. And, and I'm very excited about this because in the very beginning... We began to chart this out. We knew that one of the essential areas to walk well with God is, is to say, as a Christ follower, how do we handle our finances? And not just obviously in giving, as we've been talking about in the series, but, but uh, in, in our making of money, spending of money, investing of money, uh, uh, kind of preparing for the future, just all the, all the different sides of that, uh, debt, getting out of debt, creditors and stuff like that. And so I've been doing a lot of research on, on like what kind of curriculum we wanted to bring to you. And, and I've done several things, but the one we've settled on is this Financial Peace University. And, and I'm really excited. You may have heard Dave Ramsey on the radio. He runs one of the top 10 talk shows in the United States. He's had several uh, kind of uh, bestsellers on the New York bestsellers, uh, New York Times bestseller list. But this course is extremely comprehensive. It's 13 weeks, but it covers everything from, from ob- the obvious of making and spending plans and getting out of debt and dealing with creditors and investing and so on. But it just deals with, you just cannot even believe it, insurance, how insurance works, uh, uh, real estate, uh, preparing for your future. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Child's education, a college, you know, stuff. And so uh, I'm, I'm really big on this. I've actually gone through uh, this whole process myself because I didn't want to come to you and recommend something that I hadn't experienced and kind of, kind of bring the very best. And so looking forward to that. So I encourage you. The information is there. Uh, but, but do take the deadline seriously because uh, typically a lot of you sign up the very last night or the, like the last weekend typically. About half of you typically sign up the last weekend. And so what happened, but this time, because we're using outside curriculum, we need to have that all for you, your whole box of stuff you're going to get. Uh, and the cost that we're charging, the price we're charging, by is just the price that they charge us for it. And so we need to get that early, okay? So I think September 12th is the cutoff, even though the date, you know, it doesn't start for a week or two later, okay? So there's my pitch on that. All right. Now, uh, secondly... I want to give you uh, just a quick update on our Freedom Gift uh, initiative. Uh, you know, I was here a couple weeks ago, share what God was doing there. I want to give you a quick update is that, uh, as you know, our goal was to raise 500000 to meet this, this kind of crisis the church is uh, was, was facing at the time. And that number, the, the commitments continue to come in. And so we're up to now almost $1.1 million. Uh, yeah, I'm just very excited about that. And that, yeah, that's awesome. It's great. Uh, and what's really cool is that already 800, about $800,000 in cash has already come in already. And so just you're following through on your commitments. I want to bless you for that. And just great news. Now, uh, one question I've heard several times, people have been asking, so what are we going to do with the extra money? And, and, <laughs> and so I want to share with you, I'm not going to actually be here a lot this fall because Lynn and I have bought some property for the church in, in Europe. <laughs> and uh, it's in the Alps. It's going to make an awesome retreat center. But... 
uh, we're going to be going, and the other guys will be filling in while I'm gone. No, uh, it, it all seriously, uh, kind of our general approach to this is, is kind of a very conservative approach in, in the, that uh, we're not going to go out and start changing our standard of, of, of living here as a church. We're not going to make any big additions. What we're going to do is just kind of wait through the fall, be praying that God would lead us and direct us, uh, kind of be praying over this, but also... Uh, uh, just kind of seeing how the fall goes with the new commitments you all have made, increased giving. And then instead of kind of going out and making a knee-jerk reaction, we just kind of pray about this, see how the fall goes. And you get into December, start playing the next year, begin kind of saying, okay, what would be the best best thing? You just kind of save it for our future, kind of for our stronger foundation, financial foundation. Is there a way that God wants us to give some of it or spend it or whatever the thing is, all right? But I just wanted you to know because uh, several people have asked me about that, Okay. All right, great. And then, and then, like I said, I'll see you in December. Uh, all right, we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. And, and inside your program is a message note sheet we use every week. It's a white message note sheet, so I encourage you to take that out. And uh, we're going to continue on this series if you're all ready to go. You all ready to go? Okay, let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for what you're doing here in our church, how you're waking us up, calling us on, and teaching us what does it look like to be a church of passionate Christ followers, God, who just love you more than anything else and just want to live our lives to bring you honor and glory. And so we, we pray today that as we continue and come to this series, continue this next phase of this series, that you'd meet us in a powerful way, uh, teach us, guide us, inspire us, uh, change us, shape us, make us more like you. We pray this in your name. Amen. The story starts today in a little village in eastern Africa, and uh, <laughs> Bye-bye. See you later. <laughs> and she's just waking up. Uh, not her, but the lady of the story. She's waking up. The, the sun's just beginning to rise over her village, and she can begin to see the first, first uh, rays of sunshine beginning to come through the windows into her little thatched hut. Next beside her there on the floor are her three children, and she's about to get up. It's it's very early, and this is what she does every day. It's her top priority of her day. Every day is to find water for her family. And so, so she gets up. She dresses quietly, tries not to, to wake the kids. She, she goes outside in the corner of their hut. She picks up. They have a, a, a yellow jerry can. You may have seen those. In, uh, they're, they're very popular in Africa. And, uh, and she heads off for water. Now, Different times of the year, she's going to have to go to different places. Sometimes it's going to be to a dirty stream. Sometimes it's going to be a polluted pond. Sometimes it's going to be a seeping swamp. It's going to be at different distances as well. Sometimes it's just going to be a couple kilometers away. But sometimes during the, the dry season, it's going to be as far as seven miles. And so in this particular day, it is the dry season. And so she heads off for a seven-mile hike. She'll spend at least 15, 20 hours most weeks of her life gathering water. And when she gets to this particular hole on this particular day, there's a long line of people waiting for their water, mostly women. Sometimes fights will break out in line because water is such a scarcity. And finally comes her turn. She fills up her five-gallon can, and she begins the, the long seven-mile hike home with a 40-gallon can of, of water. The hardest thing about this for her is that she knows that this water that she's bringing home is not clean. It's, it's polluted. The places where she goes to find her water are places where the, the animals graze. They're the places where children play. They're the places where, where villagers will wash their clothing. And yet it's the only water that she has. It's the only water that's available to her. And so every day she goes and fills up her can and brings it home just hoping and praying that this water that, that she wants to bring life to her family will, will not bring them death. Because the reality is, in her part of the country, one out of every five children will die as a result of not having clean water. Well, today we're, we're continuing our series that we've been in for the last month, a little bit longer, called The Journey of Generosity. And for those of you who are brand new, it's kind of welcome. We're so glad you're here if you've been with us in this series, you, you know that our goal in this series is, is to be asked the question, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus in the area of generosity? He's obviously our model. Uh, he was the one that though he was rich, he became 
poor so that we through his poverty might become rich, right? That's 2 Corinthians 8. That's our theme verse. And so, so he's our model. So what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus in, in this area of generosity? And, and so as we've been studying the word for this, uh, what we've found is that there's kind of three different types of generosity that the Bible talks about all the time, kind of three strands that was kind of woven all the way through. God's always woven in the life of his people. And so we've, we've, they've, we've, we've talked about those three. Remember, we talked about, first of all, percentage giving, just kind of regular systematic giving to fund the, the movement of God or movement of Jesus. The Old Testament is the temple, New Testament, kind of the, the, the church or whatever. We've talked about the second kind of giving, which was project giving, special times of giving where throughout his his word, God asks his people to, to give, whether it's to build a temple, to build a tabernacle, to fund a ministry, to, to support the apostle Paul, to kind of special, special over and above type giving to projects. We talked about that. But the third kind of giving is we, we talked about is giving to the poor. And if you've been here in this series for the first five weeks, you know that most of our emphasis has been on, on what we call percentage giving or project giving because of the challenge and the crisis we were facing as a church. But, but the really cool thing is about three or four weeks ago, I was in Starbucks uh, one morning. It was a Wednesday morning. I was praying, as, as I'm often doing there. And, and I, all of a sudden, I felt like God really spoke to me. And it's very really, uh, powerful, profound. And the download began. And that this series, I, I really thought it was going to be like a five-week series. We're going to be done. I was ready to go back to Galatians. And, and so, but that day, it just became very clear that we were not done, that we were supposed to go out and spend some time really focusing on this whole issue of generosity to the poor. And I got to tell you that, that, that when, it, when it hit me, I was, I was both surprised and I was just elated because this has been something that I've wanted to do for many years. I've prayed about for years. When do we get to do this? And so I'm really excited about it. So here's, here's the plan. We're going to spend three more weeks in this series today and two more messages. And, and what we're going to do is we're just going to be unpacking the word in the Old Testament, in the life of Jesus, and in the life of the early church of what it says about what does it look like to be a passionate Christ follower in the area of loving the poor. And so today our focus is going to be on the Old Testament. Uh, uh, next week will be uh, focus will be on the life of Jesus and his teaching and life. And then the, the next passage, the last passage will be, uh, the last message will focus on uh, the, the teaching of the rest of the New Testament life of the early church, all right? And so now, what we're going to do in this series, though, is I, I want to do more than talk about this. I, I want to get practical. Like, here's one thing I've learned in my life is that, that as Christ followers, we grow in different ways. Like, there are times when, when God comes to you, the Holy Spirit comes to you, and he asks you to take a major step in your, in your growth, a major step of faith or obedience, right? You've all been there. It's, hey, give up this relationship. Uh, surrender your uh, finances. Leave that hobby. This particular sit, you know what, there's a major thing that's going to cost a lot. And, and here's what I've learned is that when God asks for a lot, nothing else will do. Like, I, like I, I don't know if you've ever tried to bargain with God, uh, you know, it doesn't go real well. It's like he's really smart, and when he makes the ask, it's not like, oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah, that is too much. Okay, let's cut it down. Let's, you know, it's like, so when God asks for something big that, that nothing else will do, but, and, and that often we grow, but there are many times in our life where the way we grow, and, and this is kind of the more normal way, is that the Holy Spirit begins raising an issue in our life, and he asks us to take a small step in the right direction. And that as we take that small step, that our heart changes, and they say, okay, now here's your next step, and we just kind of gradually grow and become like Christ, right? That's how it works. And so in this series, here's what I want to do. I don't want just to be kind of something we just talk about. I want to each week give us a small step, kind of a challenge that we can take as a church to grow in a practical way in this area of love for the poor. Now, you don't have to do it. This is between you and God. If you don't feel called to do it, that's, that's up to you, right? But, but I'm, I'm hoping and I'm, I'm guessing we will. You know, because God's really put this on my heart, I think, for, for our church. So here we go. So, uh, so at the end of this lesson today, I'm going to be giving you our challenge for the day. So every week we're going to have a challenge. Now, here's what I want to start today. Uh, I, I'm going to start today by, by saying that I, I think that if we're going to grow to be followers of Jesus in this area of generosity of the poor, that for most of us, we'll probably need a whole new paradigm of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And, and there in your note sheet, you have a section it's called Generosity, A New Paradigm. And so let's want to start here. I would suggest that for most of us, that, that probably 
that, that kind of serving the poor, loving the poor, is probably not a major part of our paradigm of, of what it means to be a passionate Christ follower. Now you, know, you may be different in this, but I would guess for most of us this is the case. Well, here's my guess. For, for most of us here, if, we, if we've grown up as a Christian, we grew up in church, or maybe you're, you're newer at this, but you've been through the last ser- this current series with us, that, that we understand that as Christ followers, that we're called to grow in generosity, that Jesus is the ultimate model like we talked about, and if we're going to become like Jesus, we, we need to grow in this. And if, if you've grown up in church, or, or you, you've, you've been a Christian a while, you've probably heard messages on this, you've probably been challenged on this, and usually those messages over the course of your life have probably focused on the first uh, types of two types of generosity that we've talked about in this series. They probably focused on what we call percentage generosity or the tithe, and you probably focused on project kind of type of thing. Uh, but my hunch is, for most of us growing up in kind of Bible-believing churches, or if you're new at this, that you probably never heard a lot of teaching on, on giving to the poor. Like, I was thinking about that in my life this week. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home uh, from the time I was very small. I, I went to church. And, and so, and it, and it was a solid church. It was, it was a good church. It was a, kind of a mainstream, evangelical, Bible-believing church. But, but honestly, I, I don't believe, I, I don't remember one time in my life ever hearing a message on generosity to the poor. I, I don't think I've ever heard that. I heard messages on generosity to, to God and to the church and the movement of Jesus and special projects, but, but I, I don't think I ever heard a message. It just kind of wasn't part of our paradigm as, as a church. So for example, like, like growing up, if you were to ask me, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a Christian? Uh, I, I would have said things like this. Well, it, it's to, we, we, it means we believe in Jesus. We believe that he's the son of God. We believe he, he lived, he died, he rose again for our sins, uh, that through him we have forgiveness and we can have eternal life. Uh, I, I would have talked to you about, I would have said that it, it means that we honor the Bible. We believe the Bible is the word of God. We want to structure our life by the Bible. And so we want to spend time reading his word. We want to spend time in prayer. We're going to find a place to serve. We're going to go to church. Uh, uh, and, and we're going to give. And by that, by give, I meant the tithe. I would have meant we, we tithe. That, that's kind of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, okay? And, and that's sort of the, par- that's what I picked up along. That was my paradigm of being a follower of Jesus. But, but you notice that one thing's missing in there is love for the poor. And, and this is what I would suggest. I think for most of us, this is the case, that, that for most of us, we've not grown up with this. We've not been taught this. This is not part of our core understanding of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. And yet the interesting thing is, as you look through the Bible, this is kind of like all through the Bible from beginning to end, Old Testament, New Testament, there, there's this God's vision for our life, what it means to be a follower of God throughout the Bible is to love God passionately, to love people compassionately, and a big part of that is love for the poor, okay? And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna start today just by start this journey uh, of kind of developing a new paradigm by going to the Old Testament and looking at some passages on on how God tried to kind of weave generosity for the poor into the heart of his people from the very beginning. So there in your note sheet, you have a section called Israel's Story, The Journey Begins. And here's what we're gonna do. If you've been with us throughout this series, you know that when we talked, we, we spent some time talking about generosity of the poor. And, and when we did that, just kind of a, 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 kind of a short part of one of our lessons, we, we looked at some of the teaching in the Old Testament and the law of Moses, how when God started the nation of Israel, that, that he like built into their culture and their laws certain laws to protect and, and provide for the, the poor, right? So we, we, we looked at some of that. Uh, we looked at the book of Proverbs where there's so much said about the poor. We, we, we read, for example, the Proverbs. It says that the, the person who gives to the poor lends to the Lord, and the Lord will repay him. And so, so we've done some of this work. But what I want to do today is I want to look at three very powerful passages from the Old Testament that, that my guess is most of you are not familiar with that help cast a vision. They're just kind of three of many, many examples, but three powerful passages of what does it mean to be someone who loves God? What does it mean to be a person who pursues God in our life, okay? So the first one, the first one is a story of a very famous man in the Old Testament. For those of you who Christians, you'll, you'll recognize his name uh, immediately. For those of you who are, are brand new at this, just check it out. You'll probably recognize his name even if you've never read his story, and it's the man Job. 
Man, they went Job. You know. so, so we don't know a lot about the man Job. Uh, what we do know is he probably lived before the time of Israel. That most scholars believe that Job lived in the time of the patriarchs. And the patriarchs are like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So long before the nation of Israel starts, uh, this guy Job is, is living. Uh, during the, and what we know about him, the Bible doesn't tell us a lot, but it tells us certain things. It tells us, first of all, that he's a, he's a very wealthy guy. He's kind of like the Bill Gates of his day. I mean, he's extremely wealthy, all right? Num- number two, we, we know that he's got a big family, that he, uh, he's got like uh, uh, seven, uh, seven sons, three daughters. Of course, he has a wife, too. Okay? So he's got a big family. Uh, and, and then we also know that he's extremely successful, that he, uh, uh, whatever, he, whatever he touches turns to gold. And and so, but the, the most important thing we know about Job is that Job is an incredibly godly guy. That, that we're told the opening verses that Job is a blameless man. And, and in chapter two, we're told that, that God's talking about Job, and he says, Have you, he says, there's no one like him in all the earth. He's just an amazing guy. So, so are you with me in this? We, gotta get the, the Job, we often think of him associated with suffering, which, you know, I understand that. But, but we got to get this, this picture that Job is an incredibly godly. He's kind of a model for us. What does it look like to be a man or a woman who really loves God, you see? And so he, he's this incredibly godly example. And, and so if you know the story of Job, you know that, uh, that, that basically in a short period of time, for reasons that God never fully explains, he, he allows Job to go through a time of intense suffering, where overnight, just within a very short period of time, Job loses everything. He loses his, his kids, he loses his, uh, he loses his wealth, and he loses his health. But all he has left is, is a cranky wife and irritable, some irritable friends. So if you've read the story, he's got this, he's got this wife who's just really kind of a pain in the neck, and he's got this, these, these friends who are really irritable, right, because, because they're convinced that the reason Job's going through this is he must have done something to tick God off. And so they're, they're trying, to, trying to convince him, hey, you must have sinned, just come clean, admit it, and if you admit it, then, then God will forgive you and, and heal you, and of course, that's not the case. And, and so, so, so the whole book, he's having the dialogue with his friends, right? So, so you got this, you got this righteous guy, a model, a model guy, going through hard times, and so throughout the book, he's defending himself, going, no, that's not my story, I've not done it. But in the process, he kind of gives us insight into his life and why he was such a blameless man. And so in chapter 29, we get one of those windows into his life. And so I want you to take your Bible and go to chapter 29, and we're going to see one of the reasons why God was so taken with Job, why I just love this guy so much, was so impressed with him. Job 29. Okay, so, so Job's uh, talking with his friends here, his irritating friends, and and he's, uh, he's kind of explaining to them, hey, let me explain to you what life was like for me before this crisis hit, right? So in verse 7, he says, when I would go to the gate of the city. Now, catch this. The gate of the city is where the leaders of the city would meet to uh, kind of it's like the city council. That's where the city council would meet. So, so Job was one of the key liter, uh, leaders of this city. And so he says, when, when I would go to the gate of the city and I would take my seat in the public square. I mean, this is where law cases would be brought to be adjudicated. Uh, it's where, you know, uh, kind of policy decisions for the city would be made. He said, when I, when I would go there, uh, the young men saw me and they stepped aside and the old men rose to their feet. And so he's kind of painting a picture here of Job was a very highly esteemed, respected guy. I mean, he's the sort of guy, when Job walks in the room, it's like the young men stand up to honor him. You know, the old men just kind of get out of his way. And he's just very highly respected, okay? And so then in verse 9, he says, the chief men, the leaders, they refrained from speaking and covered their mouths with their hands. Now, I realize a lot of you are too young to remember this, but some of us are older to remember. You remember that, that commercial, the E.F. Hutton commercial. Remember that? It's like some of you are going, no. Okay, well, here's how it went. It's like they have this commercial. It was like when E.F. Hutton speaks, what happens? Yeah, everyone listens, right? Like everyone just shuts up. And and so Job was like the E.F. Hutton of his day. Like like when he would come to city council, when he'd say, well, here's what I think. Everyone's like, whoa. Let's just kind of sit back and take notes, you know? So very loved, very respected guy. 
And, and then he, he, verse 11, he says, whoever heard me spoke well of me, and those who saw me commended me. Now here he's going to tell us what. Now, now Job's an amazing guy. He follows God in, in kind of tons of areas of his life. But, but one of the areas he's going to highlight here is his love for the poor. All right? So here we go in verse, verse uh, uh, 12. Because I rescued the, the whom? I rescued the poor. Uh, who cried out for help. This is why I was so respected, he says. And the fatherless, that'd be like the orphans, who had none to assist him. The man who was dying, he blessed me, and I made the widow's heart sing. So he's picturing a situation where, where you got a husband who's dying, and it's on his deathbed, and he's worried about his wife, because in those days he didn't have life insurance, like who's going to take care of her? And he said, man, he, he would bless me, because Job would step in those situations. He would say, hey, don't worry, I'll make sure she's taken care of, right? So he'd make the widow's heart sing. And then he goes on, verse 14, I put on righteousness as my clothing, justice was my robe and my turban. I was eyes to the blind, and, and I was feet to the lame. So in a culture, there, there's no social services. Man, if you're, if you're lame, if you're blind, life is going to be hard. You're going to be there for a life of begging, probably. And Job says, man, I would step up for those people. I would help take care, look, look out for those people. Uh, verse 16, I was a father to the needy, and I took up the case of the stranger, talking about court and court cases. I broke the fangs of the wicked. I snatched the victims from their teeth. So he said when, when a, a, a case would come to court, someone who's poor, someone who's an alien, someone who's a stranger to our area, I would stand up for the rights of the poor and the, and the alien, make sure they got justice. Okay, so he's kind of painting this picture. This is who he is. Now, now turn over to chapter 31 of Job. We get a little bit more on this, 31 verse 16. And Job is saying to his friends, you know, he's just he's kind of saying, hey man, I, 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 I'm promising you, man, I, I've, been, I've lived an honest life before God, this is not about me, this is not punishment, this is not what this is about. And so he kind of takes this oath here, and he says, if I've denied the desires of the poor, or if I've let the eyes of the widow grow weary, if, I, if I've kept my bread to myself and not shared it with the fatherless, the orphans, he said, if, if I've done that, or he says, but from my youth, I, I reared him as would a father. And from my birth, I guided the widow. If, if I have seen anyone perishing for lack of clothing, or a needy man without a garment, and his heart did not bless me for warming him with the fleece from, the sh- from my sheep. If I've raised my hand against the fatherless, knowing that I had influence in court. See, you picture this? He's, he's basically taking an oath. He says, hey, before God, man, if I've, if I've ever overlooked the needs of the poor, if I've not looked out for the widow, if I've not looked out for the orphan, if I've ripped off the poor in, in court, if I've not provided clothes, if, if, man, if that's true, then here, here comes his, his oath. He says, verse 22, then let my arm fall from the shoulder and let it be broken off at the joint. Okay, so he's like, break my arms. You know, just kind of break my arms, and it's not true. And so then he goes on and tells us his motivation. He says, for I dreaded destruction from God. You know, in Proverbs, it says that, that he who does, who does not respond to the cries of the poor, that God will not respond to, to his cries. And so Job says, this is part of what it means, being a godly man. It means, it means looking out for those who can't take care of themselves. Not for lazy people, right? Not, not for lazy people. Uh, uh, but, but for those who are truly weak and vulnerable and who cannot look out for themselves, he says, this is what it means to be a godly man. Now, here's what I want you to catch. Here we have way back in the Old Testament, before the law is given, before the nation of Israel, we have a picture of a man who's held up in the Bible as a model for us. <clears throat> here's, here, here's what we're to be, this is the type of the life we're to be living. Here's a model. And what I want you to catch is a key part of his paradigm of loving God and loving people was his love for the poor. Are you with me in this? So that's what I'm suggesting all through this series, that, that if we're going to be passionate Christ followers, it means that for, for a lot of us, me included, we're, we're going to have to have the Holy Spirit kind of tweak our paradigm. Uh, what does it mean to be a Christ follower? It's more than just my vertical relationship with God. It's more than just spending time with him. It's more than just going to church. It's more than just giving to church. It's more than these things. It is those things, but there's a missing piece, right? And it's this love for the poor, all right? Now, second passage. Let's, let's turn to the right in our Bibles to Isaiah 58. Now, again, another passage probably not super familiar with. Um, this is a passage in the prophet Isaiah. It's about 1,500 years later now. And you remember this, that when God established the nation of Israel, 
he, he wanted to create a, a culture that was kind to the poor. One of the things he said is you'll always have the poor with you. You're never going to solve this problem. But he said, I want to create a culture that's kind and kind of friendly to the poor. And so he gave them several laws. And we've talked about this. Like every third year, part of their percentage given would go to help the poor. Uh, they, if, if, the poor uh, if a poor man came to you and asked for a loan and you could afford it, you give him a, a, non, a, kind of a no interest loan. If he can't pay it off after seven years, you, you forgive that. When it comes to harvesting your fields, you leave some of the produce for the poor. When they come to court, you make sure the rights of the poor are protected. And so, so God lays all these laws out for their nation because he wants them to be a nation who loves, protects, takes care of the poor. Are you with me? Okay, so now, of course, the nation of Israel seldom followed God's instruction. And so what we have in Isaiah 58 is God is taking the nation to task for not loving the poor. And here's their situation. Uh, It's a time in Israel's history when they are far from God. And not just in terms of loving the poor. I mean, they're far from God across the board. They're worshiping other gods. They are uh, ripping off each other's uh, wives and husbands. They're practicing illicit spirituality. The crime rate is going up. There's robbery. There's violence. It sounds a lot like our culture today. Okay? And so, so this is their culture. So, so they're not pursuing God, all right? But they are still going to church. Okay, this is a crazy thing. That they're still going to church and they're still doing the religious stuff. They're saying their prayers, they're, they're making their offerings, they're offering their sacrifices, they're burning their incense, and, and they're, they're celebrating the high holy days, and on some of these days they're fasting, right? And so they're fasting and they're asking God to bless our nation and lead us and direct us, and God's sending Isaiah to say, are you kidding me or are you serious? Do you really think that just because you go without food for a day and you put on sackcloth and, and you pray and you say, do you really think I'm going to respond to that while you're living lives of utter rebellion? Like, if you really want me to listen, let me tell you what you need to do, okay? And so that's the context. So let's pick it up. Chapter 58 and verse 1. So, so God says to the prophet, he says, Isaiah shouted aloud and do not hold back. Uh, raise your voice like a trumpet. Just kind of let it out there. Uh, declare to my people their what? Their, their rebellion, right? So they're living a lives of rebellion. And to the house of Jacob, their sins. For day after day, they seek me out. They're, they're going to church. They're doing the, going through the motions. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a, a, a nation that does what's right and had not forsaken the commands of God. So they're asking me for just decisions and they seem eager for God to come near them. Of course, but the reality is they aren't. Verse 3, so why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? And God says, but on the day of your, when you fast, you do as you please. You're, you're living lives of rebellion. Here's one of the, you exploit your workers. Now, one of the ways they would, the rich would exploit the poor. They, they would, uh, they would, they would uh, pay them kind of a, a poor wage. Or they'd have them do the work and they'd hold their wages and not pay them. And then they're, they're living day to day. They're kind of uh, subsistence workers. Verse 4, your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with, violent fist, with wicked fists. So there's violence going on. And, and God says, you can't fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Like, I, I'm not going to be listening to this. He says, is this the kind of fast I've chosen, just for a day for a man to humble himself and for the bowing one's head like a reed, for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is, is that what you call a fast? The day except, like, do you really think I'm impressed just because you, you, you don't eat for one day, you wear the clothes, and you go through the moat? Do you really think that I'm going to just like, okay, great, whatever you want, I'll answer you. And then in verse 6, God says, here's what I want. Is this, is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of what? And justice. He says, I want a just society. And untie the cords of the yoke. And to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? And so God had told them way back in the law of Moses, 700 years before, I, I want you to create this culture that looks out for the poor. Share your food with the hungry, right? Leave your, leave your fields. Make the loans. Do, do, you know, kind of look out for the poor. And yet now here they are, 700 years later, they are not following 
And so God says, that's what I want. Is it, is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked, to clothe him, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? And then your light will break forth. He says, if you do that, if you get back to what I told you to do, then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear as a nation, and your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard, like he will protect you from before and behind. And then you will call, you'll pray, and God will answer, and you will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. Verse 10, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry, and you satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness. Your night will become like noonday. And the Lord will guide you always, and he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, and he'll strengthen your frame, and you, you will be, you know, as a nation, as a, like a well-watered garden and like a spring whose waters never fail, okay? It's a beautiful passage of Scripture, isn't it? Where, where God says, listen, like, I, I'm not going to respond to you because you're living lives of rebellion. Let me give you an example. I've called you to love the poor. Instead of loving the poor, you're ripping off the poor. And so if you really want me to respond to you, begin to follow me again and start by, by loving the poor, okay? So here's what I want you to catch again. All, I, all I'm trying to do in these, in these next three weeks is to kind of begin to shape our thinking to understand that it's impossible to be a follower of Jesus and not have a growing heart for the poor. You see, this needs to be part of our paradigm. Are you with me? That we need to kind of look at things differently. Now, one more passage. Uh, the next passage is in Ezekiel. I put it on your note sheet because I figured by now you'd be tired of looking up verses where you don't know where they are. So in, in Ezekiel, you know, he comes what? About a year to, I mean, about a hundred, a little bit more years after uh, the time of uh, Isaiah. And, and they're still dealing with the same issues. And in this passage, the prophet Ezekiel, God's going to say something powerful to the nation. He's going to compare the nation of Israel, and he's going to say, you're just like the ancient city of Sodom. Now, does that, that strike you as, uh, like, Wow. Like, that is not good news. Like, if God shows up to you tonight in a dream and compares your life to Sodom, this is not a positive. For, for those of you who've been Christians for a while, you know at least part of the story of Sodom. We're told that in Genesis chapter 18, this is a city that was a very wicked city. And, and uh, in particular, in Genesis 18, the part of the story that we're told, that God, God comes and supernaturally destroys him, and the part of the story that we're told is that it was a city where illicit sexuality was rampant. And the particular kind of sexuality that, that's, that's rampant is homosexuality. And so what's, what's happening is God sends in these kind of angels to check it out, and, and the, the, the men of the city want to kind of rape these angels, and God says, that's it, uh, uh, you're done, you know? And so time out, judgment time. And so if, if you've been a Christian for a while, that's the part of the story that you know, okay? But it turns out there was more to the story, that the reason God brought judgment on this city was not just because of illicit sexuality, but it's because that they had become a very wealthy city, but in the process, they had not developed any concern for the poor. And so here's what he, what he says here. In Ezekiel 16 on your own sheet, uh, God's speaking to Israel now, and he says, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. So he's comparing Israel to Sodom. And he says, she and her daughters, uh, the cities around her, they were arrogant, they were overfed, and they were unconcerned. You see that? They were arrogant, they were overfed, and they were what? Unconcerned. Let's say it again. They were what? Unconcerned. Now, it's interesting because often in Christian circles, when we think of sin, we think of um, what we might call sins of commission. Uh, acts that we do that violate the law of love. That, that's what sin is. Sin is a violation of of the law of love. And so when we, we violate the law of love in our love for God or the love for, for people, that's sin. And, we, and so we often think of that in terms of things that we do. But there's another kind of sin that we often don't talk about as well, and that's the sins of omission. Sin, th things that God says, I want you to do this, and we don't do, okay, that, that hurt God or hurt people. 
And so here is a great example. He says that what happened in Sodom is that God prospered them financially, but instead of, of like uh, drawing it closer to God, they became arrogant and they, and they used all of their, their wealth on themselves, right? They, they became overfed. They became like a consumeristic culture. And then they became unconcerned for the poor. And he, he goes on that passage, he says, they did not help the poor and the needy. And so, so when you're getting compared to Sodom, and it's because you're not loving the poor, would you say that's pretty important? You see? And, and so here, here's what I'm catching. I, what I really believe is that as Christ followers, we, we need a whole new paradigm of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it's, it's not different from what we've had before. We just need to add this piece in. That if we're going to be a people who love God passionately and love people compassionately, that it's more than just a prayer for them. That there's times God's going to call us to be generous with our resources to help meet real needs, okay? And so in the next, uh, next couple of weeks, uh, we'll be looking, uh, kind, of taking, kind, of, kind of studying this through, what the life of Jesus and then the life of the early church. And what I'm going to be asking you to do as a church is very simple, I'm going to be asking you to do exactly what we did earlier in this series. Is this a church we give ourselves to God, and we say, just like we did before, we give ourselves to God, all I have, all I own is yours. Now, would you teach me by the leading of your spirit what you want me to do in my life in the area of loving the poor? That's it. And then we just kind of do what he shows us, right? So, that, so that's, that's the agenda. Now, as I mentioned, Every week, I don't want to just do some teaching on this paradigm of the poor. I also want to spend some time uh, each week giving us a practical challenge to help us grow. And so, so but before I can give you this week's challenge, I need to set the stage a little bit. I need to create some context. And we need to spend so, just a few minutes talking about this world that we live in. Like, like we live here in America, right? So we're familiar with our culture. But, but, uh, but a lot of us are not familiar with what's going on in the outside world. Now, some of you are. Some of you are very aware, you, you've lived in other countries, you've traveled to other countries, you've done a lot of reading on this topic, and so you're very well informed, and, and a lot of you are way more informed than I am on this topic, I'm sure. Okay, but, but probably most of us are not real informed. We're American, we're American Christian, we're, we're not really aware of what's going on in the world. So even to talk about kind of a global concern for the poor, and in this series we'll talk about global concerns, we'll talk about local concerns, we'll talk about, we'll talk about concerns inside of our church, outside of our church, and so we're going to cover it all. But, but when we start talking about a global concerns, for a lot of us, we're we just not even aware, we just need some education. And so one of the things I want to do is just spend a few minutes today talking about this world that we, we live in. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section called Our Story, A Few Statistics. And what I want to do is just a few, give you four or five statistics just to help you understand a little bit more about this world that we, we live in. And, and what's our responsibility as American Christ followers who, who by definition, are kind of in the history of the world one of the wealthiest nations in the world, right? So um, here's what we're going to do. The first statistic I want you to write down is I want you to write down uh, uh, 80%, right? 80%. Now, you say 80% of what? Well, I need some help with this. I need 10 volunteers on stage. I, I'm not going to just, I'm not, gonna, uh, I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, I promise uh, no, I promise. So, like, 10 volunteers. Can I have 10 volunteers right up here? If you don't volunteer, I'll appoint you to be a volunteer. So, let's come on. It's great. Dennis, great. Then here, just we're across the stage. Let's see what we got. We got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I think 10. Yeah, I think we're perfect. Let's, uh, let's see this. Okay, great. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. Perfect. All right. Okay, now. Do you agree to be the future leaders of Rocky Peak? No, just kidding. It's <laughs> awesome. You're obviously leaders. You're ready to go. You've already volunteered. I appreciate that. All right. I want you to say this represents the world population, all right? So we got, what, 6 billion people in the world. This, this represents world population. Now, here's what I'm going to have you two at the end right here if you step off stage. In fact, you can actually step down here. You can kind of just over here. Just stand there for a second. That's good. Okay. So this represents how much the world population. 80%. Okay, now, I want you to pretend. Now, I was going to do this in real life, but it didn't work out. So I, I, I was going I to do I was going to walk along. I was going to give each person a $10 bill. Okay? Yeah, <laughs> just, just, 10, just 10 bucks. I gonna, and, and actually, I stopped at Albertsons today to trade my 20s for 10s. 
And they said, we don't really have tw- uh, tens here. So anyway, uh, so, I, so I can't, my plan failed. But anyway, uh, so, so you've got, uh, every person's got $10. I need you to visualize this, because I want you to remember this as we move into our future, okay? So can you visualize that? Everyone's got a $10 bill. In fact, could you hold up your hand and just pretend? Okay, okay, visualize $10 bills, all right. <laughs> Pretty good. Now, uh, I, I want to ask you, what can you do in your life with 10 bucks, okay? Just, just you know, what, what do you do? You have 10 bucks. They say, well, what can you do with 10 bucks? Just kind of a few people just kind of shout it out. What can you do? Okay, buy lunch. Buy lunch, got 10 bucks going for lunch. That's good. Someone else? What, what's that? A matinee. Yeah, go to a matinee. Good. You can't go to a real movie, but you can go to a matinee. That's good. <laughs> 10 bucks. Unless you go to the Edwards Theater in Simi Valley, 375. All right. Okay, there you go. A little marketing. Uh, okay, so we can, we, can get, we can go lunch. We can go to matinee. What else can we do? Starbucks. Yeah, Starbucks. Absolutely. In fact, I can get three Starbucks out of, out of that. Because I, I get a mocha, a tall mocha, three, 305. Okay, so I'm going to three Starbucks. What else can we do? Gas. Okay, okay, for a motorcycle, you can almost fill it up, right? $10 for the rest of us is like a down payment on a gas tank. <laughs> but but for, for, like for me, 10 bucks will almost fill up my tank on my Harley, all right? So, that, okay, good, gas. What else can we do? 10 bucks. Wait. Beach parking. Beach parking at Zuma. Right, so you, don't, so you don't get towed, so you don't get towed. Beach parking at Zuma, you can do that. Let's get one more. Cigarettes, awesome. I, I don't know, how many? That's great, I don't know, what do you get? Two packs, right? Two packs? The last time I got, no, never mind. Uh, two, yeah, two packs, all right. Okay, so that's what we do with $10. I just want to get our framework down. Now, here's what I want you to catch. 80% of the world makes $10 a day. Are you within this? Like, like we're in America. Like, what's, this is like beyond our, it's, it's hard for us to get. $10 a day is what 80% of the world we live on lives. Lives on. So, so, so what this means is like if I cut a check for $100, you guys put your hands down, they're probably getting tired, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Dennis wanted 100 bucks. Like, if I gave Dennis 100 bucks and he's in a third world country, he can take the next two weeks off and do whatever he wants because that's how much he would have made. Okay, now, now it, gets, it gets even more amazing. Let's have three more of you come off stage and you five can go sit down. Thank you very much. Appreciate your help. <laughs> okay, now it gets more interesting. These five people... It represents how much of the world population? 50%. 50% of the world's population, if I was going to give them their daily wage, how much they make in a day, I would not give them $10. I would give them $2.50. It's crazy. $2.50. That means like, if I wanted to pay for dentists to take two weeks off work and a third, say, uh, hey, I want to hey, free you up for two weeks to go out and share the gospel. For two weeks, you're a Christian now, you're going to show the gospel, and I'll cover your income for two weeks, so you can go out and do, for two weeks, I give him a check for $25. He's like, I'm good to go. He's like, are, are you with me? It's crazy. Okay, thank you very much. Let's give him a hand. <laughs> Let me give you another statistic, all right? Next, stati- next statistic is the number 24,000. Why don't you write down? So we got 80%, right? We got 50%. Next statistic, 24,000. That's how many children die in our world every day because of poverty. That every hour, a thousand children, 365 days a, a, a year, uh, 24 hours a day, a thousand children die because of poverty uh, around the world uh, every day. Every hour, a thousand hour, 24,000 a day. Okay? Um, third statistic. Uh, just, again, I'm just trying to frame the world we live in, okay? Um, third statistic, uh, third I want you to write down the number 1 billion, okay? 1 billion. It's like 1,000 million, right? 1 billion. And, and that's how many people in our world today do not have access to clean drinking water. Okay, one out of six people in our world today don't have access. So, 
I started the day with a story of this, this woman that I called Sarah, walking seven miles to get her water from the dirty, dirty stream. Um, not actually a true story. The facts are all true, but it's a composite story that I, that I put together from the lives of several people. But, 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 the, but the facts are, are true, and, and her story represents the story of a billion people on, on our, in our world today who don't have access to fresh water. And as a result, they suffer uh, diseases. Uh, did you know that 50% of the hospital beds in the world are filled with patients that are there because of a water-related disease? And that every 15 seconds, a child will die because of the lack of just clean water. Now, the, the good news is statistically overwhelming. The good news is that, that this issue of water for the poor is becoming an increasing issue in our, in our world today. It's becoming an increasing awareness. Um, and, and so, um, and, and there are many even Christian organizations who are going out now and drilling wells around the world in the name of Christ to bring water to the poor. Kind of going off that verse of Jesus, that, if, that if, you, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, that you'll not receive, you'll not use your reward. One of those organizations, uh, and there's so many good ones, but there's one's called Living Waters International. And, and I want to share with you our challenge for the day, for this week. We're going to have a, a week. And our challenge this week is, is going to be revolve around water for the poor. But before I give you the challenge, I want to create some context. So we're going to cut this screen and I watch a short video, all right? Isn't that amazing? Let me give you one more statistic. This comes from Living Water International, and, uh, and it becomes an important statistic for us. This, is, this is just kind of blows me away. What, what, what they do, it's like many organizations like this, but what they do is that they go and drill wells, and so it costs them about $3,000 to, to open a well that's been clogged up and no longer performing. It takes about $5,000 to, to increase what they call a shallow, to, to create a shallow well. It, it's 10000 or more to go a really deep well. But here's the statistic that I want you to write down. I want you to write down in your, your statistic $1, okay? Just kind of $1. That's your next statistic. And, and this just blows my mind. This is what they say. that it's, That's how much it takes to provide a year's worth of clean water for a single person. That for every dollar contributed, they can provide water for a person for a whole year, clean water. Isn't that amazing? So I blew me away. I was just trying to understand this. I stopped by Starbucks yesterday, and I'm not a big water drinker. Um, I don't really like water. I, I don't, like I only drink it when I'm working out or when I'm teaching. But... Um, so I've never bought their water there, but I stopped by and bought their uh, Ethos water. And, and you know how much this costs? Some of you know. Yeah. It's like two bucks. $1.95 at this particular Starbucks is a deal. But uh, do, you, do you catch what I'm saying? And what they're saying is that for one of these bottles of water, they could provide water for two people for a year who've been drinking out of a stream or drinking out of a swamp. Okay, okay so here's our challenge. Here's our challenge for this week. If you have a seven-day challenge, this is your mission should you choose to accept it. <laughs> All right? <laughs> uh, let me tell you right now, this is not going to cost you any extra money. Okay? It's going to cost you money that you would have spent. It's not going to cost you any extra money. Here, here's, your, uh, here's your mission. Uh, I'm going to ask you to join me on a one-week beverage fast. Okay? So, so for, so for <laughs> so you're like... Some of you are like going, oh, does he mean? Yes, he does. Uh, so, so what I mean is that for the next week that you would make a commitment that all you're going to drink is water. Right? So, so what we take for granted, uh, these one billion, it's a dream come true that they would one day have water. So I mean, would, would you give up your beverages for a week so we could give for thousands of people kind of water for a year. That, that's the, the trade-off. And so here's what I'm asking. That this next week that, that you, you wouldn't drink your sodas, you wouldn't drink your Starbucks, you wouldn't drink uh, your Cokes, or, or uh, you wouldn't drink your wine, your beer, whatever else you drink, your juices, uh, your milk, your protein drinks, your, your vitamin waters. Okay, that for one week, that, that as a church, we say, okay, we're just going to drink water for a week. Now, I realize some of you are addicted to caffeine. 
And so if you need occasionally a cup of coffee for medicinal purposes, <laughs> so you don't give it a headache, I could just see what's going to happen out there. This whole community, it's going to be a bunch of cranky Christians from Rocky <laughs> Peak. Like, what's with you this week? You know, it's like, oh, well, we're doing this thing for the poor, and it's just I'm getting a headache from it. It's just kind of like, so, so seriously, like if you need once a day, whatever your need is, for medicinal purposes, so you don't get a migraine and curse Jesus and die, you know. Uh, uh, great, you know, if you want to have milk on your breakfast, all these questions have been coming up. Is it okay to have milk on my breakfast cereal? Yes, that's a food group, that's okay, right? You know, it's like, I'm just talking beverage, what you're drinking, are you with me? And so, so, so the first part is you commit for a week, I'll only drink water, okay, that's the first thing. The second part is you'll keep careful track of that. And that every cent that you would have spent on your beverage, you just put that aside in a jar or something, you keep track of it, and then you bring that, and we're gonna see how many people that we can provide water for for, for a year. For every dollar we do. So so for example, you go to Starbucks, in my case it's three oh five, you know, it's like okay, that okay, I would have gone three times this week or whatever, and that's that's the okay, so you go to seven eleven and you go whatever. And then, and what I'm asking then is at your home, when you're at your home, you'd keep track. And what Living Water suggests, what Living Water International suggests is that, that if you average it out, that the, what you drink at home costs you about 25 cents a drink. Now, that might be different at your house, but you, you, you average the different things you drink, the juice, the protein drinks, the milk, the tea, the coffee, you know, the, the uh, uh, beer, whatever the thing is, that it averages out to about 25 cents, okay? Now, you can, you can do different math if you want. But the idea was you just kind of keep track of it was you're drinking water. Well, I would have had a cup of tea. I would have had a protein drink. I and you just kind of, what Lynn did for our house last night, she, she put a chart on her refrigerator. So we got a category for protein drinks, teas, different things. And so like this morning, I got up, had a cup of tea. I, I was going to have a cup of tea. Instead, I, I didn't drink anything because I don't like water. But... Uh, <laughs> Well, so I went over the refrigerator and said, I would have had a cup of tea. That's what I would have done. So boom, you get, get some more. You know? So you can figure out your own system, but you, you kind of need to follow with this. And then the idea is that next week we come to church, we would bring the money that we would have spent anyway. That's key. Uh, and then we bring, and when you get in the lobby, you'll have these uh, five-gallon jugs there. You just drop your money in there, kind of over and above giving your normal giving. This is kind of your special from this project thing. You drop your money in there, and so you can be, you, if you can be cash, it can be a check. If it's a check, make it out to Rocky Peak, and we'll just kind of make one big check. And then what we're going to do is we're going to gather up, see how, much, how, many, uh, how many years of water we can provide for, for individual people. And we're going to send a check to, to Living Water. We've already talked to them about helping drill a well or multiple wells in Ethiopia which is one of our areas of focus uh, as, a, as a church, okay? And so, so that's the challenge, right? Uh, hey, I, I love you guys. You're clapping for it. The other two services are looking at me like, are you serious? So I just, <laughs> like, you know, so now, now to, help you, to help you stay on track with this, help you remember, we've got these, these blue water beds, all right? And so though this is to remind you, because I know uh, some of you, other than at 5.30 in the morning, you're going to wake up at Starbucks, and it's like, what am I doing, you know? And, and it's like, oh, so, so this band, I would put it on your drinking hand, like my, my <laughs> put on your drinking hand, this can remind you. And so as you exit today, by the doors, there are baskets with these blue bands. And so if you're, if you're participating, take a band. Now, if you're not participating, don't take a band just so that we think you are. You know, it's like, so... It's like, this is like, it's like and, and the cool thing about these bands, I love about this, I think it's going to give us a great opportunity to just have spiritual conversations this week. Because what you know what's going to happen, people at your work, people at your, your little league, whether it's soccer, whatever, they're going to say, hey, what's with the bad? And you can just share, I mean, it doesn't have to be real heavy, you know, you know, repent and accept Jesus and be saved. <laughs> it, it, can, it can just be very lightweight. It's like, hey, at our church, we're learning about God's love for the poor, and, and we're just going on a one-week beverage fast to raise, raise money. Well, how does that work? You tell them. That's very cool. You know, it's just kind of a positive thing that leads to spiritual conversations, right? So, so the band is, is dual purpose. Now, one more thing for you to know is that even right now, we're talking to your children, and we're spreading this pop propaganda to them right now in their classes. So I just want to give you a heads up that your kids are getting this propaganda too. So when you got to pick up your kids, they're probably going to be the most excited person in your family, and they're going to shame you into this. You know, like even if you think God's not calling you, you don't even care because your child is calling you, right? 
Now, now, I think kids will go fine just on water for a week without malnutrition. So, like, if I was doing my family, I'd do it just the same as adults. But some people in our children's ministry, they're concerned the kids are going to die or, or have be malnourished. So, so they're going to actually bring home, like, an alternate form of this. And so you can kind of choose what you want for your, your family, all right? So, uh, but, but the big thing I want you to catch as we launch this kind of second half of this series what I want you to catch is, is I really believe is, as followers of Jesus, if we're going to grow and follow him, that, that we need a paradigm shift, right? That, 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 that we, we need to begin to grow in our love for the, for the poor, inside the body, outside the body, in the world, around the world, local, whatever, that we would begin to develop a heart for the poor. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you're doing here at our church. We thank you for this week's challenge. We pray that, that, that this week, as we, as we drink water, God, that we would use this as an opportunity, that we would pray for the world, we would pray for this issue of poverty. Um, God, that we would pray for our own lives, that every time we drink water, we just pray that you would create a heart for the poor in our lives and for us as individuals and as a church. We pray this in your name. Amen. You know, one of the things I believe is that God is calling this church to be a church that makes a difference makes a difference in this world that we live in, makes a difference in, in the lives of hundreds of thousands of people, bringing, it's part, part bringing them into the movement of Jesus, but, but kind of being an influence in our community and around the world. And, and I think it's going to start with, with lots of small steps, you know? It's not always a big thing. It's the small, the small things. And, and so this, this was the week, uh, it's our first challenge. And I just want to challenge you this. Uh, get a bracelet. Uh, Lord willing, obviously, if you don't feel called, I mean, I'm trying to put something on you, you feel weird or whatever, but, but if, God's, if God's calling you, you know, get a bracelet, uh, keep track, bring the money in. Let's see how many, how many years of, of fresh water we can give to people that don't have it. Amen? Amen. God bless you. See you next weekend. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.